At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I had the chance to sit down with Sheldon Simeon, one of my favorite ever Top Chef contestants and the author of the cookbook, Cook Real Hawaii. So this week's Genius Recipe is actually two of Sheldon's pantry-friendly anytime dips from the Heavy Poo Poo's chapter of his book. But it's really even more than that, because these two recipes, creamy, salty, tangy shoyu dip and kimchi dip, also give you the keys to a couple more pantry hacks, making your own crunchy fried garlic without deep frying, and a way to pour on the sunshiniest lemon flavor without the sharpness of actual lemon juice. Sheldon will tell us the genius stories behind all, what, four of these recipes later in the episode. But first, here he is to tell us more about how he became the top chef that he is today, growing up in the Simeon household in Hilo on the big island of Hawaii, where the power of deliciousness was a constant. I guess I was lucky to be born into a family that appreciated food, that loved food, that food and family was was integral part you know that and the generosity of taking care of your family your friends your neighbors that was just like an integral part of our upbringing and mm -hmm. uh you know food was always always in the forefront of whether it was celebration uh whether it was discipline <laughs> it's like you do your homework or or you or uh, or you're not going to be able to come and have dinner or <laughs> do your chores and i never thought my talent was was something that shined through. I, I've maybe I had a knack for cooking, but I felt like I needed to work hard, you know, whatever. Like that's what my especially watching my dad. My dad worked so many jobs. He was constantly working. So my work ethic was the thing that I I thought that uh would get me through through everything. Mm -hmm. And uh that love for food was always there. Uh, but I was just like so involved in the grind as as I went through my career and always wanted to do the best and anything that I, I did, I, I pour 110% into it. Yeah. What was it like learning from your dad? Did that sense of 
um, of hard work come through when he was teaching you how to do things in the kitchen? Yeah, I, I guess it wasn't. My dad wasn't the type of like, come here, I'm going to show you. I'm going to mm -hmm. sh show you how to do something and we're going to learn it. No, it was like always like, you better keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he says to do, you, you're doing it. And then you just learn by observation. And as, as you do it, uh, you know, often, then it becomes natural and normal to you. So, you know, he, he did. He, he let us experience so many things that it became normal. And I think that's one of the things that made, led me to be a successful chef. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any moments just watching him cook that kind of, as you're watching him, it sort of blew your mind a little bit like, oh, that's, that's how we get that dish. Our family cooked for large, large parties. And here in Hawaii, there's certain milestones that you go through. So mm -hmm. first birthday parties are, are celebrated when large for uh, large attendance, uh, weddings, high school graduations. So we were always a family that cooked for that and having a ton of cousins and families and friends. We had a lot of those to be cooking throughout the year, uh, years. And, uh, you know, whenever there was a, a luau or a party, it'll be a week of preparation. Uh, one of our things that I, one of the recipes I talk about in the book is pork and peas. Mm -hmm. And that's what my family is known for. Uh, you would cut up your pork and we'd have to marinate it the day before. And my dad went off of just smell. He would marinate things. No matter how big the size of the, he would know just off of the smell of it. Hmm. And me and my brother would always like, I don't know. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. How do you do that? But then it, there comes a day that that light switch turns on after you're doing it so much that like you can tell that it needs more vinegar, it needs more soy mm. sauce, it needs more more black pepper in it, uh, just by the the touch and feel and smell of it. Mm. So yeah, just watching him as a kid, it's like why are you smelling it? <laughs> like <laughs> like how do you know you know exactly how much to put into it? And uh, he always got it right. Wow. So not even tasting it, just smelling. Not even tasting it. And then you know, like sometimes the party is for 50, sometimes the party is for 600. And he just knows how much of something to put into it just by feel of going off of it. Do you feel like you can do that now too? My brother does it better than anybody else. But like I said, as, as time went on, he would make us do it. He's like, okay, mm -hmm. your guys turn. And we're like, oh no, here you go. <laughs> you, you, you do it enough uh we've done like we like i said we've done it so many times that i don't know there's a your mind and your senses kind of uh there's a light switch moment where it's like okay i get it and you kind of i kind of teach anyone that you just have to go through the process uh, so many times to understand mm -hmm. it yeah i i am definitely from the the school of learning technique before you know, measurements and understanding, uh, reacting to, to moments in like when something is cooking in the pan or you seeing 
Are you tasting something and calculating in your head what it needs instead of going off of a recipe? Uh, but I always, always uh, show technique first and, and then understanding of cooking. We're just talking and having conversation over uh, lunch with my cousins and my aunts and uncles about watching grandma and grandpa cook not using any any measurements you know they had the same spoon that they would measure everything out of and their pinch and it was delicious every single time and uh i guess that feeling that uh, generational knowledge that is passed through mm -hmm. to just being able to to understand that the recipe and the technique mm -hmm. and luckily for me I, you know i was intrigued by it i enjoyed it more than anything it's fun to see uh one of my daughters in particular, Quinn, she's my youngest daughter. And, uh, you know, I just see her, her love of being in the kitchen and, and joy of, of preparing something and feeding it to her brother and sisters and, and the family. She just made us dinner last night. You know, it's simple things like, like hamburger helper, but start to finish, she'll finish it off and present it on the table. And, you know, that stoke that she has is, I kind of remember it having that same stoke at that that age also when you were that age were you excited to cook things for your family yeah uh well at that age me and my brother was was the main people cooking in the household uh my mom was sickly uh, mm -hmm. she had she had a stroke back then um and then my dad was working multiple jobs so me and my brother would be fending for ourselves and cooking for our family we get instructions from dad of what to make, and then off we go, cooking it up. How did that feel? Were you excited to do that? Did it feel like a chore? Did no, it definitely wasn't a chore. I, I guess it sucked at some point as a kid, right? You, you're watching your friends, they're riding their bikes around the neighborhood. Not saying that we never did that, but there's moments where we, we'd have to be cooking and cleaning and prepping uh, while your friends are out cruising and, and doing all that stuff, so... But looking back at it, we were so fortunate to be able to, to do that. Now that's, it's a natural thing. You know, that's the thing that we want to do. We want to cook for people. I, I love entertaining. I can't wait mm -hmm. to, to have people over our house. It's something that, that I enjoy the most. That's why I love the poo-poo section of my book. I love like, mm -hmm. you can never come over to the Simeon household and just sit down and talk story there's like there's always always needs to be drink and there always needs to be food whether it's something simple as opening up a, a can of sardines and and warming it up in the pan uh, or or just making you know some fried rice there's always going to be food in in front of you it's like you're not going to come over and sit down and not have food at our house so <laughs> it always happens well that's that's actually a really great um segue into talking more about poo-poos because that's two of the genius recipes that we're featuring this week are from the the very beginning of your book, the the heavy poo-poos chapter. The first chapter, and it's a whole chapter dedicated to heavy poo-poos, that seems like it must be a really important part of your life and your cooking and your, you know, the, the whole, the Simeon households. Yeah. So poo-poos is kind of like Hawaii form of, of these snacks, of these appetizers or, uh, these, these small little bites that that you can have in a minute or like I said over conversation of hanging out it's food mm -hmm. that that you're going to be picking at first and my dad 
is the master of poo-poos. Like he'll, he'll take a moment and he'll always have something to nibble on, whether we're going to go down to the beach or we're going to watch a baseball game or we're hanging out, uh, you know, at auntie's house. It's like, oh, what are we bringing? What are we eating? So poo-poos are those small little bites and snacks that you have. It's just like food that's in the middle of the table that, that you're going to be snacking on. Can you describe what would a scene be like at a party where heavy poo-poos are sort of like a big feast? Yeah, so it's communal dining. The way that we eat in, in Hawaii, you know, it's it's communal dining. So you you, you lay out a table with so many uh, small little bites. And it's Hawaii cuisine is influenced by all these cultures that eat like that, right? Koreans with their banchan and... Uh, uh, Filipinos with their small salads and and tomatoes and and dips that is all on the side. Uh, Portuguese with uh, with their breads and and their their pickles. So all of these cultures that have this communal uh, style dining, they all influence the food of Hawaii, and that's the way that we grew up. With put as much different food in the middle of the table as you can, and you have a bite. Uh, a little picking from each one. It sounds like sometimes they can get pretty epic. Like um, <laughs> you, you described in the book that people are still talking about your son Asher's first birthday party spread. What was that like? Yeah, it, it gets it gets epic. I, I judge uh, in a, a party here in Hawaii by by your poo poo spread, and of course his first birthday party, I had to go all in on that and uh we were i don't know we were at something like 17 or 18 different dishes just for oh the poo poo just for the poo poo line and that consisted of smoked meats and several types of poke and sashimi we had goat on there we had soups we had all kinds of <laughs> so we had fiddlehead ferns we had uh, pickles and boiled peanuts uh we we threw the kitchen sink at the at that poo-poo line. Wow. Yeah, we celebrate food in that way. And poo-poo's is the best way to celebrate the food of Hawaii because you get to have a little bite of everyone's culture. One of my favorite uh, photos in the book is this spread at my dad's house where there is a few dozen poo-poo's that is spread on alongside a whole table. And then you have a tray and you grab a little bit of everything and everything kind of just mixes up. It's not supposed to be this fusion where you're piling on top of things. They all just kind of work together in harmony mm-hmm. uh, on the plate, uh, just because you have all these different flavors, some some sour, some savory, you know, some bitter, some spicy, hot, cold. It all works out. Well, specifically the, the dips that we're going to be talking about um, from that first chapter the shoyu dip, uh, you mentioned in the book that you just buy gallon-sized containers of mayo and shoyu at Costco. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, these are like staple ingredients in your cooking and, and specifically for this dip. Um, can you take us back to the version that you grew up with at um, at family parties in Hilo? Yeah, those are two definite uh, mother sauces in the way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, we, we, we use the word shoyu, which is the Japanese term for soy sauce. Uh, growing up, I always correct my kids when they say soy sauce. It's like, no, mm. show you. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then mayonnaise, uh, in particular, best foods or or Hellman's, as every mm-hmm. others might know it as. 
but uh yeah that was the basis of of so many if so many uh sauces uh for hawaii and you know, my dad was a simple man uh, if he had something in the in the cupboard that he can make why go to the store and buy it pre-made if he has it and shoyu and mayonnaise was his dip for it was his salad dressing mm -hmm. <laughs> for everything you know like he would just mix those two together and he'd he'd eat it with his carrots he'd put it over canned beets i was like what are you mm. doing uh yeah but we we loved it we would put it you know that was our crudite dip show you in mayonnaise and so when i you know moving on you know when i came up with the restaurant lineage i was like how do i play a homage to that and how do i kick it up a, a little bit so and a recipe in the book is the base is still show you and mayonnaise uh, but we we top it off with a little bit of lemon and black pepper and toasted sesame seeds to heighten it up but the idea of this is again it's like let's get food on the table as as quick as possible and simple as possible uh even as we're cooking that's the mm -hmm. thing even as we're cooking we're like i need something to munch on and to eat <laughs> <laughs> so you know if somebody shows up to your house unexpectedly and i i've got some you know got some carrots or i've got we'd even uh use it as as dip chips and dip you know i can it takes a second to put a scoop of a dollop of uh, mayonnaise and a, a couple of drips of shoyu in a bowl and mix it together and you have something that you can snack on mm -hmm. that's the idea of of the dips there's one of the most strongest powers in the world i believe is the power of deliciousness mm -hmm. it's undeniable when something is ono something tastes delicious there's there's no way around it so mm -hmm. show you and manage is delicious mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, and it sounds like that was that was all that went into your dad's version right just those two ingredients just those two ingredients that's all uh, you really need that's all you needed that's it's one of those recipes that resonates with uh, the people who grew up in hawaii uh, yeah. they, they see show you manage dipping in there and they laugh because yeah something as simple as that that we we take for granted that we can still celebrate these two ingredients mm -hmm. yeah. hey it's Kristen. if you're enjoying this chat with sheldon as much as i did head over to the genius recipe tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one and like our recent episode with zoe ajonyong author of zoe's gonna kitchen who shared with us a comforting light chicken soup and a fiery, freezable tomato sauce that unlocks the holy trinity of Ghanaian cuisine. In the second half of this episode, Sheldon tells us more about how he put his spin on his family's classic pantry dips and two genius cooking hacks that have already changed the way that I cook. Meet you back here for that. the updates that you made to the version that you had at lineage and the one that's in the book, um, the lemon oil in particular seems <laughs> like it's a really, like it's a really powerful ingredient for you. Right. And yeah. I know that you said it was one of your secret ingredients you took with you to top chef. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Talk about like these moments that changed me in my yeah. career. Yeah, I got the chance to work at a Italian restaurant, and uh, you know, I grew up only eating poke, so it's like pure raw sashimi style. And then as I went to school, everybody started doing you know possum crew, which is like a Tahitian ceviche. Then I was introduced to ceviche, and I was like. No, poke greater than everything else. <laughs> just, <laughs> just because the 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 flavor of 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 fish, you know, that the silkiness of of poke is what I liked. And once you add acidity to it, you know, it cooks the fish, and and then you lose that that beautiful thing that I love about poke. So when I went to work at Vinos and I seen them coating their tartare with this lemon mm. oil that you get the flavor of lemon, but it doesn't cook the fish. I was like, uh, it was an aha moment. Mm -hmm. Do you have favorite ways that you like to use the lemon oil now besides in the shoyu dip? Uh, lemon oil. Yeah. Lemon oil in, uh, in your simon, uh, mm -hmm. just like right in the, those cup noodles, just even cup noodles mm -hmm. in them right out the microwave, instant ramen, just uh, some of that uh, in there lemon oil on top of steaks to finish it off with uh, with crunchy salt and lemon oil on poke those are some of my favorites yum <laughs> <laughs> wow Th those all sound amazing i'd also love to hear more about this second genius dip that we're going to be featuring the, the kimchi dip um mm -hmm. and first of all um you you have a note in your book about the spelling of kimchi can you just share with our listeners why kimchi is spelled differently in Hawaii compared to other parts of the United States, for example? Well, it's spelled both ways, but you, it's here in Hawaii. You also you see it K I M C H E E mm -hmm. here, you know. And it was a, uh, it's another one of those things that is unique to Hawaii, and it's just those that that language barrier that happened whenever all these immigrants are coming here to work uh, on the plantations. And as people, you know, shared the language with each other, it just, just kind of all came mixed up and then people start writing it out and that's how it stays. Was this another one that you just remember being at your, um, you know, on the poo-poo spreads at parties when your family growing up? Was it just kind of an, an early presence, the, the, the classic version of the kimchi dip? You know, I grew up in a Filipino household and I always said, <laughs> I thought kimchi was was part of our culture. And to this day, one of my favorite things when I go to the uh, talk stories at high schools, which I hopefully I can do again <laughs> through all of this, is I ask who has kimchi in the refrigerator. And I mm -hmm. love that here it's always 50% or more of the kids have kimchi, and no matter what what background or race or nationality that they are. So I love how how everything has kind of just blended together here in Hawaii. And kimchi dip. All of these dips are all these moments where I need to come up with something very quickly. Mm -hmm. and, and how can I make something that's that's delicious that we can eat? Yeah, simple as putting some cream cheese and sour cream uh, together. Back in the days, if we didn't have that, our old friend mayonnaise was there to put it together. <laughs> put some kimchi and mayonnaise and some shoyu together. That, that would be a dip also. Uh, but I love that uh, we were able to, we served this at Lineage and it was mm -hmm. on our, it was on our poo-poo cart that would show up to your table as you sat down 
and uh, you got to have something to eat as you're looking at the menu right off the bat. And uh, the kimchi dip, of course, we took steps of how can we make this as, as delicious as possible while keeping it uh, still true to itself. You know, we made our own kimchi. Uh, we over-fermented it to bring out the, the sourness in it, knowing that we're going to tone it down with a little bit of cream cheese and sour cream. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, top it off with some, some fried garlic and some Parmesan cheese in there for uh, some umami and some, some texture. Yeah, we had a beautiful dish. Mm-hmm. The fried garlic, that was one of the the genius tricks in your book that definitely stood out a lot. The idea that you fry garlic in a in a bowl in your microwave, <laughs> in addition to the, the way that you do it at, at the restaurants in bigger batches. Can you just tell us a little bit more about like how fried garlic plays into your cooking and then where this microwave trick came along and how you use it at home? Yeah. I, I love kitchen hacks, right? Kitchen hacks are like, what are these ingredients or these techniques that will give your dish a boost uh, in mm-hmm. a moment's notice? And, and fried garlic is one of those dishes, uh, one of those ingredients. You know, top it off on top of noodles, top it off on rice, top it off on steak. You know, if, if you like garlic, which a majority of <laughs> people who love food uh, do, uh, it's just going to benefit from having fried garlic on top of it. Uh, and it's such a, a component that I wanted everybody to have in their pantry, but I wanted to do something that you could replicate in your home. And uh, the fried garlic in the microwave, what an epic, epic thing. I was I was skeptical at first. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to give, give mm-hmm. a shout out to uh, co-author Garrett Snyder for, for that. And uh, we dialed it in. And got the fried garlic to to that point, and it's mm-hmm. a it's a hack for sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do you do it that way at home too, or do you still fry in big batches? Yeah, I just steal from the restaurant. Oh, good. <laughs> that, that's the ultimate hack. <laughs> um, well, for those of us who aren't lucky enough to have access to a restaurant to steal it from, um, the microwave <laughs> garlic is a game changer. Yeah, and then you get the garlic oil. A garlic oil. What's better than cooking in regular oil? Uh, <laughs> garlic <laughs> oil. <Yeah. laughs> Every time I, I think I think of like stories about my grandma would always have like this her siliase, her pot in on the stove, and you know she'd go from cooking uh, baduya, which are these banana fritters, right into cooking longanisa, <laughs> right mm-hmm. in that same oil. <laughs> <laughs> letting it chill straining it that same oil out and it'll be frying fish <laughs> in it again wow. and then and then the next day hey, maybe some lumpia again and uh, we got accustomed to to having the oil <laughs> be tasting like that but uh hey we survived we, we laughed yeah. about it but they you know that's how much they love food right my my <laughs> my dad he doesn't want to waste anything and like cooking oil when we're frying something the least amount of oil that you can use he'll even buy filters that cost more than cooking oil to strain the cooking oil i'm like wow Wait. <laughs> it doesn't mix it doesn't make sense so i, <laughs> I, I confess to him 
one of the first things once I graduated college, uh, culinary school, I told myself is like, I'm going to work hard enough that I'm not going to care about how much oil that I'm using when I want to fry something. <laughs> Although you're in the, you, my dad will be in the back of my head. I'll be like, yeah, I can pour this much oil when I'm frying my chicken. I'm gonna work hard. <laughs> it's like all these moments where you know, I was scraping the bottom of the rice, uh, the rice pot and uh, him not throwing away his tea after work. Uh, no, bring it home to eat with rice because you didn't want to waste it. It's all these moments all kind of come together. And I guess it decided for itself, me becoming a chef mm-hmm. <laughs> from having all these moments. Uh, my brother is also a chef himself too. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're surrounded by that, that culture. Still learning from them and still cooking and still looking at these recipes where we take for granted growing up and kind of like going through the layers of it, of what makes that dish delicious? What's the nostalgicness of it? And, you know, what, why, why is it delicious? Is mm-hmm. it the story? Is it the ingredient? Is it the technique of it? Mm-hmm. You know, all of that play into points, but, you know, each, each recipe has, has its moments. The significance of it might be the story more than the, the recipe itself, the mm-hmm. ingredients. But all of it makes it delicious. <laughs> yep. That's all. That's that's all we're trying to do. Live a life of of, of deliciousness. Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Sheldon Simeon, chef and owner of Tin Roof Restaurant in Maui and author of the book Cook Real Hawaii. This week's show was put together by Amy Schuster, Emily Hanhan, and Harry Sultan. What dips and snacks can you magic out of the pantry when you want to share something delicious? I would love to hear about it at geniusfood52.com or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review. Or send this episode to someone who you would give permission to cut you in the poo-poo line. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.